This is a podcast from WSUM. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Welcome back to another asynchronous episode of After Further Review, hosted by myself, Alexander Schuster, and the man, the myth, the legend, Vincent Hasbrick! It is Welcome so, back to the studio, Vince. How are you doing today? It's so not great to be here right oh, now. Come I on, really hope that you would change day. as a person. No, it's I, I know you. I hate it, and this just becomes a running joke <laughs> of me saying I hate it and you laughing at me. But whatever. I guess we'll talk about sports or whatever. Uh, you know, we were going to be uh, on the FM wave today. However, the, the the org fair is going on, so we're doing one more asynchronous edition, and then we'll be. On the FM waves next Tuesday at five o'clock. So I am incredibly excited for that. I like the stakes of being live. <laughs> oh yeah, it, I mean, it's so exciting. We get a little bit of a better view uh, from the, the the newly renovated studio as oh, well. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's very, very much looking forward to our first experiences uh, back in there next week, Tuesday at five p.m. So. Yes, sir. Well, we got quite a bit to get to today. So as always, we'll start with Rate My Take, where the two of us come in ahead of time with sports opinions, and we give them to the other person who will grade them on the spot. So I forgot a coin, but I do have my ID. So um, I guess head can be, although my head kind of looks like a tail, it can be heads or tails. What are you calling it? Uh, let's go heads. Heads. It. Oh. See that pretty face of yours, Vince? It is it heads. Do you want to uh, receive or defer? Uh, so I'm going to receive just because okay. I'm worried that you might have a similar topic with this. Okay. Um, so the Packers win against the Bears says more about the Bears than it does about the Packers. Um, and by that, I mean that the Packers beating the Bears in week one uh, isn't something to overreact to. It's just further evidence that the Bears are still the Bears. Um, and we need to see the Packers face off a real team to make a decision if the Packers are still the Packers, if that makes sense. So the Bears have a terrible defense, and Justin Fields is really just a garbage-time merchant putting up <laughs> putting up great stats right when the game's already sealed away, making it look, if you look at the box score, like he had uh, a much better game than he actually did. Uh, there's still the bright side that the, the Packers' defense looked good, um, and Jordan Love seemed to fit in uh, LaFleur's offense. Um, but it's playing the Bears in Week 1 is kind of like just getting an extra preseason game. Uh, and we need to face a, a real team before we can make any uh, true judgments about the Packers this season. Uh, so what do you think about that, Vince? <laughs> I'm glad that you and I are both doing ones that will wind up being at Bears fans' expense. But um, I, I I would definitely agree. I'd probably give you the seven. There's a couple things I disagree with, though. First of all, I'd say that, I mean, Justin Fields, look, the, the interception of Quay Walker was just ugly. That looked like something I'd throw in, like, Madden 19. But... By and large, I thought that he was actually one of the only parts of the Bears that wasn't completely terrible. I mean, he had no one open. There's always talk after the game like, ooh, there's a player who I'm not going to name. Really quit on him. It's Chase Claypool. Just saying. Uh, DJ Moore only had two catches. So, you know, you can talk about the offensive game plan being bad, the skill positions being bad. Like, the Bears, they, they hype themselves up as a much improved team. And who knows, maybe they still are. But by and large, if you get the number one overall pick, you're not going to completely turn your team around in one year. So I would agree that the Bears are who we thought they were, and we did not let them off the hook. So, um, But that being said, I think the, the Justin Fields shot, I, I don't think he's going to be super good. I believe I told someone that he's the version of Lamar Jackson, 
with the pre-draft version of Lamar who couldn't throw and make good decisions, <laughs> but I think that was a bit too far on my part. Um, I, don't, I don't know. It's definitely fun, though. So I, I would agree overall, though, that you can't. it's definitely good that we destroyed the Bears. It's good that we beat them. It's amazing that we destroyed them. But I think that week two against the Falcons will be a pretty solid measuring stick. I'm excited to see if this run defense can hold up against Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algiers. Yeah, I mean, week two, definitely a much better team, a, a team I could see going to the, the playoffs and the Falcons. And that's really what you want to see in those games of teams that are going to have hopefully a winning record at the end of the season, how we fare against uh, – those teams uh, and I mean it's week one a great win against the Bears but and I don't think I have heard people overreacting too much to the game but I, I do want to just keep that in check for one more week yeah that being said though I'm so glad that the idea of Jordan Love cannot throw a football has been quelled officially like we'll talk more about his performance later on the show but that was nice to see the little uh, 100 what was it 127 passer rating oh yeah not bad well, it's okay. If I go ahead then, that was yeah. a good discussion. Okay, so a lot of great players in that Packer game. I mean, Quay Walker was unbelievable. Offensive line was great. Uh, Jordan Love was serviceable. But I would say that my MVP in this game is Matt LaFleur. Now, I get what you're saying. You know, P stands for player, but clearly MVP stands for most valuable personnel. So he fits well into that. Now, the first half was kind of bumpy, which is unusual for Matt LaFleur. He's been criticized as a guy who they come out strong. They clearly have a good prepared game plan, but then – he really struggles with the second-half adjustments, and that's led to some unfortunate losses over the years. And it looked like that would be the case. You know, they get the stop, uh, the first drive. They go down and score on a pretty solid but a little bumpy-looking drive that gets into the end zone. And then from there, the offense just died. Uh, they really struggled in the first half. I believe Jordan Love averaged something like four yards per attempt, something crazy like that. And at the end of the first half, the score was a pretty – looked like it was be the most boring game ever. The score was 10-6. to six, But the second half was – Basically, I would argue a masterclass in coaching for Matt LaFleur. I mean, could bounce back from not just scoring 10 points, but the botched um, part of the end of the first half when they just like let 20 seconds go off the clock for no reason whatsoever. They came back and they absolutely flourished against the Bears. They put up a ton of points on offense and, of course, the Quay Walker interception that turned into six points. But when you just look at the stats, it's clear that Matt LaFleur was just head and shoulders over Matt Everflaus. Uh, the Packers were... 9-16 and 16 on third down. I mean, I think you want to be in like 30% good, so over half. That's incredible. The, the Bears were 3-13. and 13. Uh, The Packers had zero turnovers on the day. The Bears had two. And we were perfect in the red zone, which is that's something that we really struggled with last year. So that turnaround, I'm really excited to see. But we to give credit to Matt LaFleur, it was as much about what didn't happen as what did happen. Because the Bears, they were talking a lot of talk before this game. Now, there's a, a lot of quotes, but the winner of the Terrible Cold Award definitely goes to Justin Jones, who had two gems. So before, or a couple months ago, uh, he said, or a couple days, I think, before the game, he said the rivalry here has been going on for a long time, and we're about to be on the other side of that now. We're going to be the ones to give the beat down. We're not going to get beat by them anymore. It's going to be us from now on. Well, <laughs> whoops. And then Justin Jones, earlier in the year, he was a guy who went after Green Bay Packers fans, said they were obnoxious. He said, half of them don't even know football. It's so weird to me. But I'm just ready to go up there and play. And I want to go out there. And I want to beat the hell out of them on their field. And this is the best part. I want to hear boos in the end. That's what I look forward to. Um, and the Packers, the entire time, they said nothing. They just came out. 
They took care of business. They played great disciplined football outside of Rudy Ford getting truck-sticked and getting mad about it. But it was just incredible. And to do some recapping here, um, you know, Justin Jones, you know, it's hard to grade a nose tackle. It's not like he didn't record a stat in the game, except that's exactly what happened. He did not record a single <laughs> stat the entirety of the game. He was there, had a PFF rating of 46, which was second worst on their defense. Um, and then after the game, DJ Moore, after a terrible performance, said he was asked about the crowd booing at Soldier Field, and he said they started booing. And I was like, whoa, it's only the second quarter. So it seems like that DJ Moore is saying that Bears fans don't know football, which is weird because I thought it was the Packers fans who don't know football. So either we're stupid, they're stupid, or we're both stupid. So I don't know. It seems like an absolute L from the Packers. But going back to my original point, the fact that the Packers just stayed composed shows that although this is a very young team, you know who their oldest player on the team is? Uh, is it Bakhtiari? It is Bakhtiari, and he's I believe he's 31. So this was the youngest team in the league in terms of average age, and they played like a well-disciplined unit, and I absolutely love to see it. Obviously, a lot of that credit goes to these players, but, I mean, Matt LaFleur, well done. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that 100% of the way. I mean, the start of the game, like you said, I, I was a little unsure about what direction it was going to go. I mean, we do have – a, a lot of really, really young uh, receiving weapons, first, second-year <laughs> guys. So seeing them get that little slow start was kind of what I expected. I mean, the opening drive was really promising, and then just seeing them kind of get in that groove as we went uh, later and later into the second half. Um, but the just not getting involved in those chippy plays, especially after – I mean, defensively, uh, Jair Alexander getting the, the shove on Justin Fields to go out of bounds, and then there was that little scrum yep. there. <laughs> I, I I thought that was going to escalate throughout the rest of the game, and it, it really just stopped right there. I mean, he was able to draw a flag on DJ Moore, um, getting that extra shove while he, like, he was walking away from the sideline. Yeah. <laughs> get the extra yard. Or actually, I think it, it, yeah, I believe it was really offsetting yeah. penalty on that one. but. Um, really just didn't escalate at all from there, which is really promising, especially in like such a competitive rivalry of sorts. I yeah, mean, there are still two teams that really don't like each other, even if it ends up being a Packers win mm-hmm. most times. Um, but just a really pro- profess or professional game, impressive performance from the Packers on the floor. Um, so I would give you. A seven point nine, right there, because oh I do think I there's still the points, there's, but there's room, for, there's room to grow there. <laughs> yeah, I, you're right. I would definitely agree. There was, I mean, the fact that uh, I, I say, well, it was great because Matt Lafleur had a great second half, but they didn't have a great first half. Exactly. So, um, yep, fair enough. So I guess we jump into what's the one like segment where we sum up Badger sports. Um, let's um, call it, I don't know, Badger sports update. We'll change it later. Okay. Uh, so you want to go ahead here? Uh, yeah, so the Badgers football team fell 22-31 to against Washington State in their first road game under head coach Luke Fickle. Uh, in the first half of the game, the Badgers started uh, pretty slow, only making their way onto the board with a trio of field goals um, and go, went into the half down 15. In the third quarter, the Badgers were able to find the end zone twice but failed con- to convert a two-point conversion to tie the game up at the end of that third quarter. Um, in the fourth quarter, the Badgers... Then had an opportunity to take the lead. Um, unfortunately, Ches Malusi uh, fumbled the ball uh, near midfield, setting up Washington State to close out the game. Um, it was a, a slow start. I mean, you'd think if we were able to get the jump on them rather than the other way around, we might be able to take the, 
this game home, um, second year in a low, or second year in a row that we uh, have lost to Washington State. So um, I'm, it was a, a tough matchup, first game on the road for the Badgers under Fickle. Uh, what are what are your re- what was your reaction to the game, Vins? Well, you have some notes under here. I think for oh yeah, very well. I mean, you you just said it. This first point here, Wisconsin had three fumbles during the game. The team that wins the turnover battle, I think it wins like seventy five percent of the time. So when you win the turnover battle or lose it by three. I mean, you just can't feasibly expect to win this game. Um, now, it's clear that like Luke Fickle, it, perhaps our expectations were a little too high. He's a first-year head coach. He's completely changed, trying to change not just the culture, but the way that the offense operates, the way the program operates. So I guess it's fair to expect that there'd be some bumpy spots, but they just looked like the opposite of the Packers. They were just undisciplined. Now, you can say that the refs were bad, and – Maybe it wasn't a safety, but they certainly should have reviewed it. And Ches Malusi, I don't think he fumbled. But the point stands that your team scored zero points in the fourth quarter of a very winnable game. You had all the momentum, and it looked like they were – I mean, I was ready for them to take the lead there. It looked to me that Tanner Mordecai throw to Skylar Bell had me running around my dorm room, but just um, couldn't close it out. So I think that's on them. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Mordecai – Throwing uh, 40 passes in the game, 25 of them completed for 278 yards. Um, also fumbling twice, one of them for a defensive touchdown, which, I mean, you look at the score, that, that completely changes the game right there. Um, and then the Badgers uh, combining to only rush for 90 yards, um, something that, I mean, the Badgers offense has been known for for yeah. decades is a running game. I mean, in the last three years, I think we've only had – four or five different games where we've rushed for less than 100 yards and um, maybe a little bit more than that. But um, it almost all of those are in losses as well. So uh, it would be great to see the Badgers getting their running game going, finding a way to balance that between that kind of spread air offense. Yep, definitely. That's a really good point. I mean, you look at the stats here. Malusi, 12, for four, 12 carries, 49 yards, scored a touchdown but had a fumble. Um, Braylon Allen, seven carries, 20 yards. Tanner Mordecai, 21 yards. So, you, I mean, the, 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 the run game is supposed to be the bread and butter for any Wisconsin team, regardless of who their offensive coordinator is. And the fact that that wasn't working, not great. Uh, that being said, though, I, I mean, I, was, I felt good about Tanner Mordecai in this one, considering the fact that he threw 40 passes in this game. And it looked like the Badgers had a legitimate shot in the end. Now, he did have two crucial fumbles, but th- the fact that they could not run the ball and Washington State knew that they couldn't run the ball and they were still able to move the football in that third quarter and to just kind of an extent the fourth quarter, uh, I-, I think that Mordecai, he's, he hasn't been great, but I think he, he's an improvement over Graham Mertz. Oh, I would 100% agree that he's an improvement. I think there's still a little left to be desired there with just balls slightly out of reach. I mean, like the the ball placement there, I mean, it it is a college quarterback, so it's not like you're going to be expecting, like, I don't know, like Drew Brees or someone (laughs) (laughs) throwing uh, there. But, I mean, 25 for 40, I I think there was a couple of balls that could have been completely there. Oh, yeah, that third down in the fourth quarter looks like it it was a tough catch. I believe that was Will Pauling. It was off of his hands. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, that that's been um the the game or the the scouting report I guess on Tanner Mordecai is that he can rack up a ton of yards. He's great in the medium game and making good decisions underneath for the most part. Although against Buffalo that wasn't quite the case, yeah. but his deep ball is not necessarily lights out. So 
I mean, I guess hopefully he's able to improve upon that or the game plan is able to adjust a little bit. But as a whole, I mean, I, I, a lot of reasons this team lost, but Tanner Mordecai was probably one of them, but not the biggest reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we move on to uh, men's soccer? Sure, sounds good. The men's soccer team started out the year by winning three straight, including a one to nothing win over number 2-ranked Kentucky. However, they have sputtered as of late going 0-2-1 in their last three games and scoring just one goal over that stretch. They look to rebound against Indiana this Friday. Meanwhile, the women's team sits at 5-1-2 and and has been great all year. They've won three straight and beat Marquette in a one to nothing thriller last Sunday. I was there for that one. It was incredible. Uh, they'll face a tough test Friday on the road against ranked Nebraska. Um, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to follow this women's soccer team the rest of the way. Emma Jaskinek, she was she is an unbelievable player, certainly the best on the Badgers team. i got to stop saying certainly. I might have to, have to do a counter. I don't even say that that much in normal conversation. Um, but she's coming off a major knee injury, so they've been limiting her playing time this year. But late in the game against Marquette, the Badgers just had so many chances, and they couldn't get that goal. So they bring in Emma Jaskonik, and suddenly the offense comes to life. Uh, she makes an incredible pass over. It was like she was at the left side of the goal, and she blooped it over the top of the goalie, and then the Badgers player headed it, headed it in. It was awesome, except it was kind of funny because I was announcing the game. I think I said like four collective words over it. I don't, <laughs> I'm not an X's and O expert, but um, we, my friend Jason and I, we were like right in the midst of the – uh, visiting fans like that's where we're set up so it'd be like it was clear like when they scored everyone just kind of like a damper whenever that sounds like oh the Badgers take the lead and I was like Jason you know you're a little loud right now we don't want to get beat up but awesome to see that many Marquette fans showing out I love the in-state rivalry because it you know you kind of get that atmosphere when it's not that long of a drive uh, I was Really glad we picked up this win, especially because uh, my twin sister goes to Marquette. Uh, she plays on their club soccer team. Oh, but, that's cool. Um, yeah, anytime there's a face-off between, I mean, basketball, soccer, I mean, there's only so many sports to choose from between that rivalry, but anytime yeah. there's a, a matchup, it's always good to have that little extra sib- siblings uh bragging rights. Yep. Your sister, uh, she still plays soccer? Uh, yep. Okay, well, she might be getting a call soon because Marquette, they averaged, going into that game, they averaged a third, no, they averaged one goal every three games. So. Yeah, I uh, it's, I don't think she's going to be able to help them there. I, she, she plays center back. But, okay. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah, not exactly a goal scorer, but. Uh, yeah, it was really neat, great though. defender. Yeah, it was pretty, something pretty crazy happened where Marquette's goalie, who's very good, she got ejected because they said she had like she came flying way out of the goalie box and passed the oh gosh what what's the other line this is slipping the the eight yard line eight, S- someone's the, punching their through, screen right now through the box I mean, yeah that's what, like what it is okay yeah. um and they ruled that she she it was a handball and that the Badgers would have scored a goal, so they gave her a red card, and it was totally unwarranted. <laughs> so you could to- you could hear on the broadcast some of the stuff that the Marquette fans were yelling at <laughs> the referee. But, yeah. So um, how do they put you in the the opposing, like, s- section? Well, there's just, like, a little balcony, and it needed to have that Ethernet connection, so. Just the only spot that you guys can Yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining. It's great yeah. to be there. Glad we get the opportunity. And it's very funny, too. Yeah, I mean, picking up, like, the background noise. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I had to turn it down a couple times. <laughs> uh, moving on, finally, the Wisconsin volleyball team has entered the season as number one ranked in the nation, and they proved the voters got it right by starting the year 7-0. and The team is white hot entering a mass game tomorrow against the ranked Marquette Golden Eagles. I am so excited for that one. I'll be there in the student section. It's going to be a blast. And I'm, I'm so, I've gone to just about every game this year, and that's not me trying to be like, oh, I'm a big Badger fan. I'm like 10 minutes away from the stadium. And I got the red card, so I get the season tickets to that. The student section is basically filled all the way to the top, like 10 minutes before the game starts. So if you want to sit in the middle of it, you got to get there like 40 minutes early to the game. And I love to see that so much. Yeah, some like I kind of knew about like how big our volleyball program was like growing up. I, I mean, like I would hear about it, but I think I went to like one maybe two games as like a kid uh both i think women's games mm-hmm. uh, for the volleyball team but it wasn't until i like i like actually like came to college that i realized like how big that team is on yeah. campus and like i mean every like everyone will tune in to watch whether or not you watch volleyball or not i mean you, that the team is that good that i mean they're exciting to watch so yeah i mean i i did see that i think it was nebraska Hosted a game in their football. Yeah, that was stadium. a couple of weeks ago, yeah. but that was still just awesome. I guess the old record for volleyball. I think the Badgers had the record for most people who showed up for a regular yeah. season game with like nineteen thousand in the Kohl Center, and then suddenly ninety thousand <laughs> people come out to Nebraska. That's just incredible. I Love mean, it. You think we could pitch that on our campus? Oh, I mean, I mean if, if we it... win the Natty this year, I don't see why not. I'd, I'd go to that game. I just don't know how you see them. Oh, feel from that far definitely away. can't. I mean, so <laughs> having your binoculars, did they have like a dome in there? Because um, once you add like the wind element, like how does that? No, like, that's a good in? point. I guess it was a sunny day, but that's that's a really good point. I didn't think of that. <laughs> if it was like a real windy day, it'd be like, well, sorry guys, but I mean, they do do like beach volleyball, I guess. But like, yeah, I, I think that's but like that's com- not a very yeah, yeah, it's completely different. Yeah, good point. Um, but if you I mean if you ever want to go to a game with me, Alex, just text me because I get multiple tickets to each one. I would so. go to that. All right, well. Bet I will give a weekly report and if you go to games or not, so I can call you out. Uh, we'll jump into our next segment here, if that's all right with you. Yeah, let's uh, go ahead. Likes and dislikes. We watch a lot of sports. There's a lot of stuff that we can't fit into a segment, so we just take some time to talk about some stuff that's really sticks in our craw. So, Alex, you want to go ahead first here? Uh, yeah. So, an obvious like uh, we talked about it right off the the bat of the show here. Pa- uh, Packers just dominating the Bears <laughs> um, in Week One. I mean, I I'm. Part of the reason I, I use that as my rate my take to start the show is I'm trying to like temper my own expectations. Yeah, but I am just I enjoyed watching that game, especially coming off the Packers' loss the day before. It was really great. Or the Badgers. Uh, yes, excuse me. Uh, the the Badgers' loss the day before. It was great to see a Wisconsin team getting some momentum. I mean, there was a little bit of me that kind of just feared that we were just gonna like go into the dark ages. Oh of yeah. Wisconsin sports and just everything was gonna fall off the map at the same time. Uh, I'm. I'm glad to see that that didn't happen all at once, but uh, still got a long way to go. Uh, and then my dislike, uh, like we mentioned, also uh, Badgers start struggling on the road against Washington State, and then the the Steelers just getting dominated by the 49ers. <laughs> I watched the entire game. I should have turned so it sorry. off. Yeah, th- I mean the the first half was just brutal. They couldn't get a single yard. I mean, I think they had like 50 yards going into the half, uh, just punt after punt. And then able to get one drive uh, downfield for a Fryermuth touchdown to end the, the first half, and really just not much going there at all offensively the entire game. Yeah, I, I had 
ridiculously high expectations after i mean after the fact i'll admit that they were just it was way too high i, I think i sat <laughs> on here like pitching almost every single steelers fantasy uh, like offensive player mm-hmm. as like fantasy sleepers and just none of it worked out week one yeah and we, it's still a long season to go maybe they turn around but yeah those expectations are, are just straight down yeah i mean it's like but we know the steelers they shouldn't be terrible because they're never terrible last time they were terrible i don't even know if i was alive to be honest but, um, yeah, it was because they were a trendy upset pick. You know, you got Patrick Peterson <laughs> saying that he's going to intercept. Um, why am I slipping on Brock Purdy's name? Um, but then I think he, Pat Pete allowed two touchdowns. Yeah. So Brandon Ayuk had an absolute field day with him. Yeah, he had like uh, 123 yards, two tutties. One of the touchdowns, like I don't even know what Patrick Peterson's supposed to do. I mean, Ayuk was just stronger than him which is not <laughs> something you expect from someone of uh, stature compared to Pat- Patrick Peterson but he just dominated him and let, like grabbed the ball like no matter what happened he was he was coming down with that ball so yeah um, and then just I mean, absolute struggle all day TJ Watt looked really good that was like the one bright side of the entire day um but yeah not not what I was expecting to see predicting to see and a little disappointed sitting there watching all that. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, hate lobby that Patrick Peterson, you can say, well, he I mean, he's a 33-year-old corner. He's had a great career. Like, why are we taking shots at him? If you talk, that opens yourself up to the criticism. That's I don't make the rules. That's just how they go. I mean, former Vikings player, I understand why. Just wanting the opportunity to, to say something there, but uh, it, it sucks. Yeah. I would, like, I thought he was going to be pretty good. I saw, I believe he was wearing like the number twenty. So I, I like mixed him up with Sutton, who he had a couple of years prior, and like I thought that was him. And it took a second to realize, like, oh no, like that it's a very old man back yeah. there on defense, and not the young, amazing player that we once had. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. see it. Struggled, struggling day for them. Hmm. Well, uh, yeah, should I go ahead then? Go ahead. Okay, so uh, I am going to talk quite a bit about Colorado football. Um, they have been exactly what college football has needed, uh, and they were closing out an incredible win against Nebraska. They looked kind of struggled in the first half, but then they just completely exploded. And um, Matt Rule, not a, I mean, Joel Klatt was sticking up for him, saying he thinks he's a lot of season left, but not a great start for him. His team has just not looked the part through two games. Um, but what Joe Klatt also said, uh, well, on the broadcast, Gus Johnson said that Colorado, as they were mopping up in the fourth quarter, they said they're the biggest story in college football. And Klatt said, you're wrong. They're the biggest story in sports. And I thought, well, I mean, come on. Like, they are still a college football team. And I got to thinking about it. Like, is there any really big narratives going on in the NFL right now? I mean, is anyone going crazy about that? Not, I mean, Not really. It's also week one, so I think by, like, week three week four that will change i mean if the bengals or the chiefs keep losing maybe that takes over as like a what's going on yeah um but every saturday all eyes are gonna be on colorado yeah i mean it's not anything crazy going on in baseball really um i'll admit that and i love baseball (laughs) um although the brewers did have an insane game uh they had a no hitter past the 10th inning against the yankees but they still lost which was, I don't think that's ever happened before. I could be wrong, but I thought I read that. Uh, really cool story, though. I know that uh, Coco Goff, the women's tennis player, that's another massive story, um, being so young and being so incredible. Really excited to see how 
she does the rest of her career. But you just look at, you can clearly see in the numbers that Colorado has just taken over. Now, they've had the 12 o'clock window. So you can see in the ratings last year, Nebraska versus Northwestern was game one on Saturday at the noon slot. And 4.42 million people watched. That's what it maxed out at. Colorado versus TCU. And I don't have the ratings for week two, so i got to go back to week one. But their ratings against a team, this isn't an established Colorado team. This is just Deion Sanders and some talented players. Let's see how it shakes out. 7.26 million. They almost doubled the game from the previous year. So it's clear that people are incredibly interested in this team. And the fact they've showed out how they have, I mean, it's... It's awesome. Just Travis Hunter. We had a fun conversation, though, through text, I guess we could quick discuss. And if what Travis Hunter is doing is more impressive than what Shohei Otani was doing during the year, you look at playing both ways in football versus baseball. I mean, what what was our consensus? I think we agreed that football might be more impressive, like cardiovascular, like endurance-wise. It's going to tire you out so much more. It's a bigger toll on you physically, but... I think skill-wise, doing like being that elite at both for Otani, at least th- that's what I had decided. Like the skill aspect of it for Otani makes his like slight, like it's uh, just below the insane, just physical, yeah, like endurance test that it is for Hunter. So I went Hunter, but just a slight edge. Okay, yeah, I actually I thought about this quite a bit. Uh, I originally had Hunter as well for the same reason that you talk about where it being such a physical grind to get through a game playing both ways but i feel like that just from a technical standpoint like what show i mean like you look at you know it's pitching and batting and they're in the same sport they really are two completely different things they're kind of connected it'd be like if the best writer in the world was also the best film director in the world they're connected in some ways but in some aspect just because you can write harry potter doesn't mean you can hold a camera and make a, a good scene out of stuff so uh technically i'd say shohei just that slight edge over him that being said both of what they're doing is really fun and great for the sport or i should say in shohei's case what he has done past tense because his ucl is mia now yeah. unfortunately so what is that i don't want to derail your no no this is like so what does that about. mean for him then like going forward is he gonna just have to like pick one side of the ball um there? well there's he's gonna need there's a chance he might need tommy john surgery which just is his second time needing that it's like a procedure that like gets your arm back on track but rarely do they come back the same after the first one he did but now he's on a second surgery so a little worrying about that it's definitely cost him a lot of money in free agency because we were talking about the, uh, about a month ago like what that record-breaking deal could look like i mean it's still gonna be record-breaking but just not to that same level yeah but yeah i personally think he should be used as like a um a, a multi-inning reliever or a closer because it's I mean, there's a lot of pitchers in baseball who just don't quite have the stamina. Their arm can't hold up that long. So I think to preserve his career, you, they really got to limit his usage. Yeah, I so. mean, so do you, there is a chance that he's still – Oh, yeah, he will almost to, certainly yeah, okay. pitch again, for better or worse, though, because we, yeah. we don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm sure people will be excited to watch it. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm going to jump back to Colorado yeah. here. Um, I was, you know, I'm scrolling through news on the Internet – and I see multiple articles about, I don't have any headlines in front of me, but it was mostly Deion Sanders puts Lee Corso on blast after disrespectful statement. So I thought, what the heck did Lee Corso say that got Deion Sanders so upset? So Deion, it even, it goes further than that. 
Now, before I start this rant, Dion is an incredible coach. What he's done to Colorado is unbelievable. Now, he went on the Pat McAfee show. Remember, Pat McAfee works with Lee Corso on game day and said, he asked him about Lee Corso, and he said, I'm old school, not old fool, which pretty cool line if I'm being honest. But um, basically, Lee Corso has been getting absolutely annihilated because he disagreed with what Deion, how Deion Sanders has built his program. And, you know, I, social media doesn't dictate how everyone feels, but Corso was really getting destroyed. So how could you make an argument against Deion? Well, a lot of it stems, fr- stems from uh, his roster overhaul. Now, Colorado, they won one game last year. When you have a team turns around, I'm sure Dion is a great coach, both in terms of I mean, motivating. It's clear he's incredible. But I think he's incredibly underrated on the X's and O's standpoint as well. There's been so many physical specimens who have not panned out. So the fact that he was so technically sound as a cornerback and as an athletic freak, that's why he was such a great player. Um, but if it, coaching alone can't turn a team around. And they really overhauled the old Colorado team. So here's the article uh, from The Athletic. They talked to some of the players who were on the team before Dion got there or during he got there. The article is written by David Ubin, U-B-B-E-N. I don't know how to pronounce it. I guess I should do my research. But uh, here's a couple quotes from the players. Uh, one of the players said, None of the new coaches would talk to the old players and treat us the same as the players they brought in. The new guys wouldn't be picked on as much as film. Coaches would tell them to just do better. But if it was an old player, they'd keep going off on what you did wrong and keep yelling about it. Uh, another quote, most of the 23 Colorado players who entered the transfer portal or announced plans to on Monday and Tuesday were told to do so, players say. So you could say they were ushered out, perhaps. Now, once again, your team is 1-10. in 10, You're bringing new people in. That's a completely fair decision to tell some of these kids, hey, you got to get out of here. Um, but Dion, he almost jumped it further. Uh, he literally said in his amazing uh, was it speech to the team, I want y'all to get ready to go ahead and jump in that portal. The more you jump in, the more room you make. And, Alex, I'll just ask you, how many scholarship players from the 2022 roster are still with the team? I vaguely remember seeing something over the summer that said, like, there was 11 of them that There's stayed. 10, but 10? very close. Okay, yeah. But just think about that. You have a team of, like, 70, I think it can differ, but I think it was, like, 73 kids at minimum, 63 minimum. Only 10 of them. Uh, wind up sticking around but Corso has still been absolutely on blast he's really been getting killed I've really been I'd say taking it personally about his age and stuff which we <laughs> will definitely talk about in a bit but I went back and I looked at some things that analysts have said about other players and if they receive criticism or not so here's the Ryan Clark quote on Tua uh, he took that too far you'd have to say um, there was like a clip of Tua in Atlanta, and he said he was in the gym. I'll bet you that he might have spent a lot of time at the tattoo parlor. He not he was not at the dinner table eating what the nutritionist had advised. He looks happy. He is thick, and then he compared him to the staff at particular uh, es- local establishments in Atlanta. Um, the, the female employees at a particular yeah. establishment in Atlanta. <laughs> I understood, um, and he got destroyed pretty bad. He sent out an apology. But here's some stuff that is applauded, and I go back to Stephen A. Smith. So here's his quote on Jamarcus Russell a couple of years back. Now, this is when Jamarcus was trying to get back into the league. This, was, this is a clip that was very funny. I'm not going to do a Stephen A. Smith impression. I'm pretty sure you can clearly imagine me saying it. I'm a person that believes in second chances. I think America is the land of second chances. 
Except when it comes to this dude, Mr. Java the Hutt, you fat slob, you no good, lazy bum of a quarterback. This dude should be arrested for being a thief. He stole money from the Oakland Raiders. This dude is the epitome of a disgrace. Think about that. He called him Jabba the Hutt on ESPN. And we look back at it and be like, oh, man, that was pretty funny. That's not even the only Stephen A. thing. Uh, he has a checkered history with Kwame Brown. You can actually find 11-minute clips of him going off on Kwame Brown. Um, here's my favorite quote. Whether you win a championship or not, this man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. No disrespect whatsoever. <laughs> but I'm sorry that he- that can't tell everybody the truth. The man cannot play the game of basketball. He has small hands. He can't catch the ball. He's got bad feet. He can't really move. He has no game whatsoever, plays no defense, doesn't have the heart, the passion, or anything that comes with it. That's also pretty brutal. Now, imagine someone saying that about Tua. They would probably get destroyed like Ryan Clark did. Maybe not to the extent Ryan Clark did, but just imagine if someone called Tua Jabba the Hutt and he did the exact same statement of saying, keep my name out of your mouth. I know what I'm doing. You can't tell me that that wouldn't still cause some headlines. I, th- It definitely would. I think there's a little bit of an element of, like, I don't, like, football players, for whatever reason, like, they have, like, a split of, like, people. And, like, there is still, like, the, like, historical, like, have some respect for the game yeah. element to it. Whereas, like, basketball, there is less of that. And, like commentators are more willing to like besmirch a player and like attack them personally compared yeah, I guess to what they do on the field. Fair. So um, yeah, that is more media but driven. Yeah. I mean despite the com- comedic element of yeah. all those statements like that they are but, like harsh but, crossing a line yeah. clearly like things that are personal like physical appearance attacks and yep. to some degree uh just unacceptable for like a professional broadcaster yeah. saying in the air. Well, this is where I'm going to continue because um, people have said that Lee Corso's old. He should stop. Everyone's undisputed favorite NBA analyst, Ernie Johnson, universally beloved, you'd have to say. You can't find anyone who has a bad word to say about him. And most entertaining, Charles Barkley. Those guys are both pretty old. I think they're both in their 60s. And here's Charles Barkley on Zion, as long as we're doing to the criticizing people on their personal appearance. Um there's a clip of Zion, like I think you know what I'm I'm gonna bring out a clip of him like doing some pre game work. He was still out and uh Charles Barkley said it looked like Shaq and me had a baby. Um when it was announced that Zion was rehabbing in Portland, Barkley said they act like they don't got no food in Portland. And then he said, I'm gonna put Zion on that diet I was on at one point. If it tastes good, spit it out. Now you could say, well, I mean, that that's just him being funny, but there's some serious parallels with what, how he's talked about Anthony Davis. He's called him Street Clothes Davis quite a bit. And when you compare Anthony Davis and Tua, there are some similarities there, despite the fact they play very different sports. They're very talented players, incredible players in college, and have struggled with injuries in college. And you could make the argument for both players that their physical makeup is part of why they get those injuries. Um, now, he doesn't receive much flack for that, for the Anthony Davis stuff. Once again, funny. But for Ryan Clark, because it's Tua, who is nationally beloved, he, he was, Ryan Clark really got murdered. So I'll, I'll even go further with Charles Barkley because you say, well, I mean, it's just like physical appearance stuff. This is Charles Barkley on Skip Bayless. <laughs> um, he said on the Dan Patrick show, if I get a disease and I'm going to die, how about you bring <laughs> Skip Bayless in here and I'll kill him live on <laughs> national television? <laughs> He also said, if I can get Skip Bayless in a room, they'd need DNA to define who it was. That was on NBA on TNT. So 
people, you know, doesn't receive any backlash because it's clear that Charles Barkley was joking about that. I mean, it's clear he really hates Skip Bayless, but you wouldn't think he'd actually do that to him. Um, There's a part of me that thinks that he actually might be willing to, like, bare minimum just, like, cold cock punch him in the face. (laughs) Like, just boom. That'd but be a charity fight I would watch. 110%. Yeah, because like, Skip Zuckerberg I mean, I, yeah, and Elon Musk. Yeah, that's never going to happen. Yeah, well, obviously, but put but, those two in a ring yeah, together. That'd be awesome. I don't even know who'd win, to be honest, because I know Skip like runs. That's every never getting stuff. sanctioned ever. Do you realize like the weight difference <laughs> between those two? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the weigh in on itself would be amazing. It's so funny. But let me relate this whole conversation back to Lee Corso. I got off the rails okay. there. Um, so when you look at Lee Corso, a lot of the criticism, and I, once again, just social media doesn't speak for everybody, but a common thing was who is Lee Corso to talk about Deion Sanders, primetime Deion Sanders. Who is Lee Corso to do that? Well, you look at Lee Corso, and you probably just see, like, you know, he's an ESPN guy. He puts on the funny hats uh, as your picks. But you can say, well, they call him coach. You can, like, do some Googling and see he, had, he could over uh, – Pretty long coaching career. He compiled a 73-85-6 record. And that has been brought up quite a bit. You could say, well, I mean, why are you talking about Deion Sanders? You have a losing record as a college coach. Who are you to talk about him? So I figured, and you're awesome, Alex. I'm, this is this is the longest rant, and I, I've still got a ways to go, actually. <laughs> That's fine. But let's I'm learn a it. little bit about who Lee Corso is, because clearly a lot of people do not know. His parents were Italian immigrants. His dad fled from Italy in World War One. All right. They grew up in or he was born in 1935 in the height of the Depression. He played corner at FSU, broke the school's record for most picks in a season of 14. Funny enough, Dion, who also went to FSU, also has 14 picks. I'm not saying that Lee Cross is a better athlete than Dion Sanders. <laughs> I'm just saying Lee Cross was a very good player. Uh, in 1962, Corso rec- made history by recruiting Daryl Hill, who became the first black football player at Maryland and the first black player given a scholarship by a Southern school. Uh, I guess it's considered Maryland, considered a Southern school. It's below the Mason-Dixon line, which separates, uh, oh, gosh, I got to do my state, um, Delaware and Maryland? Is that the two? I, I, don't, I have okay. no idea. Yeah, but this was a really big deal. I mean, Hill faced a ton of outlash or outrage, as did Corso, but he gave Hill a chance, and it worked out very well. He was a record holder during his time. But what, you, you I, I looked it up. It, uh, forming part of the borders of Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, and West Virginia. Okay, Delaware. I, I said that state name, so yeah. I can act like I. Oh, it looks like it's like the top of. Uh, yeah, the tippy Maryland. top of Maryland. That's straight yeah. line there. That's how they decide. Think, so that's like the unofficial marking of what the north and the south is. But whatever. That's don't matter. Um, but anyways, in 1969, Corso became the head coach at Louisville. Who, when he got there hadn't ever won more than six games. In year two in Louisville, they won eight games, went to their second ever bowl game, which they won. And this isn't like in 2023 where companies just slap the word bowl after their name and act like this is an event. Let's send them out there. There are 43 bowl games in 2023. 1970, there were 11. So that Louisville team was legit. In 1972, the Cardinals won 9-1, and and Corso left for Indiana after that season. Now, you can learn a lot about Coach, not just by what goes on while they're there, but what happens after they're there. Uh, the Cardinals didn't reach nine wins again until 1990, and they didn't have a better season win percentage until 2004. So he headlined some historically great Louisville teams. But then you look at his time in Indiana, which is widely considered to be a failure. He had a 41-68-2 record there and got fired after going 5-6. and six. 
Um, but I think we should dig into that a little bit more because in 1979, uh, Corso's Hoosiers ended the year ranked 16th. was the first time in 12 years the team was ranked inside the top 20. They finished that year by finishing off with the upsets of the bowl season by being the undefeated ninth-ranked BYU Cougars. Um, and in that season, he won eight games. Uh, you want to guess when the last time was the Hoosiers won more than eight games? 25 years ago. Uh, they never have. Never? Never. Since he had that eight-win season, Indiana has never won more than eight wins. How? Because they're a bad well, just they're just not a I very guess good are, are, like program. Basketball has been yeah. like more of their sport. Yeah, I guess but football. Yeah. But yeah, so he's um, headline. So he went to Louisville and he had an all-time great Louisville team. He went to Indiana and had an all-time great Indiana team. I mean, he was their best team that they've had. Exactly. Set, like yeah. So now I'm getting fired up. <laughs> so here, but I feel like the Dutchers even do a good job of saying the. Talking about the kind of guy that Lee Corso was, because I know you say like, "Oh, he's a bit just as good of a coach as he is a guy." And that's used for quite a bit of people. I would actually argue that's the case for Lee Corso. Uh, after in 1979, uh, not sorry, not 1979. His last year in 1982, he finished year five and six. The president called him in and said, "Hey, Corso, you're safe. We're not going to fire you." So he went out and he did all of his. Uh, he's talking to prospects and stuff, and then he arrives at Rod Woodson's house. Now he'd go on to be one of the greatest. Uh, cornerbacks of all time. He went to Purdue, but Corso showed up at his house and said, I just heard over the radio that I got fired by Indiana. He got told over the radio, the president told him he was safe, then over the radio he found out he got fired. You know what he told Rod Woodson? He said, you should still go to Indiana because they're a quality program and a great place to live. I'd say that's pretty incredible. So the fact that he just gets criticized and beat up for this so much, you can see where he's coming from. He cares about his players. His criticism was that he said he treats his players like they were my stepchildren. And when he came into a program, he didn't want to lose anyone. And the fact that people can just see him and be like, who's this old senile old man to talk bad about Deion Sanders? He has quite a bit of credit. And I think that this is something I've talked about before, uh, namely my Greg Popovich rant, that we give the elderly – Way too much disrespect. I just remember uh, driving with my late grandpa. He would have turned 81 on the 9th of September. And we would always drive to get ring bologna. That was our favorite thing to do. And, um, oh, my gosh, I should bring some tissues with me now. <laughs> You're going to see me cry here. Um, we'd be driving. He would tell me to slow down driving because and I'd go, grandpa, I'm going 35 and a 45. Like, come on, what do you want me to do? And I always say, well, it's, you got to slow down and enjoy life. Because suddenly you're just going to look up and it's all going to be gone. Now, my grandpa, he was last in his class in high school. Now, I don't mean that as, like, exaggerating. He was the last. I think they only let him graduate because they just wanted to get him off their hands. Uh, he got drafted to Vietnam, and he could have dodged the draft. He had some ways of doing it, but he didn't. He was thankfully sent to Germany, and then he came back, and he raised a family. He worked as a mailman, but he, that didn't quite make ends meet. He was also a bartender. Well, it was back before they had automatic pins set up at bowling so he would actually have to like run over and like set up all the pins and stuff. He was a referee. He did all sorts of jobs. He was uh, the alderman for the city that I grew up in. He established low-income housing in the city of Hartford. That wound up leading to him not getting reelected, and he would knew that, but he did it anyways because he thought that it was right. And he wound up being acting mayor for a period, too. So I'm just imagining him telling me in the car, you know, you got to slow down, enjoy life. And just imagine if I said, why should I listen to you, old man? You were last place in your high school class. You don't know what you're talking about. 
that's just I can't imagine someone saying that. Just saying to someone, now you say to in the case of my grandpa, someone who's done so much for family, friends, community, his country. I can't imagine saying to someone who's to Lee Course, who's dedicated his entire life to college football and serving the fans. So I'll end it with this. As you might have noticed, I didn't actually give the quote that Lee Corso said about Deion Sanders. Here it is. Remember, we talked all that talk about Dua getting destroyed, Stephen A. Smith calling him Job of the Hut, and that being funny. We've seen all this stuff. Here's what he said about Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders can do anything he wants to build this program. I just don't agree with his tactics. It, yeah. That's like the most respectful way you could possibly disagree with someone, too. Yeah. Sucks. Lee Corso, he's 88 years old. He had a stroke in 2009, and he was like in his mid-70s, but he couldn't talk for a month, and he still like rehabbed and stuff just so he could say words again. He would rehearse for hours because his brain doesn't work like it used to. So when you see him out on game day and he's struggling to get through words and Kirk Herbstreit has to like guide him through it and stuff, it's, it's a fair reaction to say, what is he doing out here? ESPN should let him retire. But I got news because it's not like he's going to his office and saying, please let me retire ESPN. Like, no, get back out there, Lee. Sending him back into yeah, the, he's the there. ESPN mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's there because he wants to be there. And he's faithfully served college football fans his entire life. So I feel like we can serve him for a couple extra years at the end and let him enjoy himself on the college football game day show because i'll tell you what the reason the, the fact that he's out there it's not his punishment it's his reward everyone there loves him and i, I you can find bad stuff said about any coach from their former players i mean nick saban he's best college coach maybe ever you can still find players disagreeing with his stuff no one has said anything bad as far as i can find about lee corso as a coach so i would say uh who is lee corso talking about Deion sanders I'd say he's pretty darn qualified to talk about that. Yeah. And scene. There we go. I finished. You can take a deep breath now. I mean, yeah, that's understandable frustration behind that one. Like the the way Dion like it's exciting to see it happening of just like the complete turnover of like a team that like you said, yeah. won one game last year, complete reset on the entire program. Yep. And it is a new coach coming in. So like you mentioned, like he ha- has the right to do it. And like like Lee Corso said, like you don't have to agree with it. He's the head coach. He runs the program. Like no matter what we say on the outside, whether we like it or not, it's up to him to run the program mm-hmm. how he sees fit. And I mean, personally, I don't hate the way he's done it. I no, mean, like, me neither. It, in this era of college football, like, I, I wish we didn't get to this position in the first place, but now that we're here, you got to make the most of it. And yeah. The, the recruiting portal, like, all these sort of things, it, it is just now a part of the game, and you got to use those tactics and your brand and everything to your advantage. And, I mean, it has completely changed the, like, history of, like, and what so many people loved about college football of, like, playing for the love of the game and just being there on Saturdays and like there's no paychecks in it or anything like they're playing for their school colors for personal pride for just the sport that they love um and adding all this money and tv deals and all these different things into the equation conference realignment nil money um has 
muddied the waters and changed the sport, but that's also something that's just going to happen to appeal to the younger audience and keep this sport alive in the 21st century. So, I mean, it, it's tough to think about, like, historically, of like, oh, this is, like, a huge benchmark in the college sports world, but, you know, like, this is what's going to keep it going in the future, and you got to have those different eras and changes and everything, and then also still respect the opinions of the people before. I'm like, I think an, another decent comparison would be like all those like older basketball players would be like that say like, oh, like you got to remember like Kareem or Wilt or all these guys. That yeah. like, of course, <laughs> we're never going to have seen playing because we weren't alive to see it. I mean, like technology wasn't good enough to like capture every single game, have it broadcast live across the world. Um, so them saying like oh yeah like remember this guy you can't just be like sit down old man like yeah. your day's done or whatever like kick I him know. off to the curb you still like you got to hear him out and it then at the other side side of it you got to understand like why they would disagree with him it's like you don't get to see that side of it um and mi- again just like did the way lee corso disagreed with him it's like okay yeah like I, that's not the way i would have handled it but i guess okay and it does suck that then he's leveraging that like social media brand with all these younger people who definitely <laughs> don't know who lee corso is yeah don't understand the full situation and then turning him uh or turning that crowd against lee corso yeah well i mean it, it's perhaps i overstated like the outrage at lee corso but it, people are saying fairly that he's really like he, he he's struggling to get through segments at times and I, I honestly i mean I, I think it's just the, the easiest insult you can possibly have yeah. to someone is <laughs> like nobody wants to get old it's just like something that happens it's like yeah i mean like i never, i'm not even going to say it i was but uh just unfunny joke um like Good call. It, it's just a, like a natural occurrence like you get old it's something that happens something that everyone has to deal with and like using that as a like it's something to be like afraid of or whatever like ooh you old man like gross like yeah. no like he's been <laughs> around a little bit like maybe like use that as a resource a little bit yeah i mean if you're if you're a college kid you're talking to someone who's a senior assistant this is someone who's definitely seen more than you and probably accomplished more than you so i mean i don't know it would be really hard not to accomplish more than, than a college student. I mean, like, how much t- we've had, like, what, like, three years to do anything, yeah. and, and this is exactly. what we've done with it. <laughs> oh, I'm not proud of what we've done. No, I'm saying, I mean, it, it, it is an accomplishment in itself. But yeah. I, I mean, like, we're not we're not building houses over here. No, we're not. No. <laughs> we're providing I, I could never... a, a good hour of entertainment, though. Yeah. Well, it, it's something. Yeah, so I guess we can jump to our next segment oh, there. Yeah. Once again, sorry I took so long with that. No, I, um, I thought it was a good conversation. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to grade. The, this could be a weekly segment. We grade some of the Packer players. Uh, we, we've each selected. Uh, how many players did you? I, so I went through, and I just have, like, I probably should have asked you about this before. Yeah, we like really, how many players we After further review planning, coming through, up big again. I just had, like, I think three. Okay, I have four. Okay. So. Um, but I'm sure both of us have Jordan Love yeah. on there. So, it, are you doing letter grades here? Or yeah. It, okay. Yeah. What would you give J Love? I gave him a B, just flat B. I think that there could have been, I mean, similar to uh, what I talked about with Mordecai, of just ball placement. I'm like setting up a receiver to receive the ball in stride and, and move downfield. Like those are some of the things you want to see at that next level in the NFL. I mean, the beginning of the game was a little bit slow. Um, but I mean the stats and everything you look at the end of the game it's it's hard yeah. <laughs> not to, to boost that grade up 
Yeah, I mean, he leads the NFL in touchdown passes, technically, yeah. and passer rating, not technically. Um, I gave him a B plus, but I completely agree with everything you said. Slow first half for him, and it felt like that, you know, like, yes, he had great numbers on the day. That being said, this felt like a game where prime Aaron Rodgers would have thrown, like, five touchdowns. Oh, 100%. That's, like, the fact that this was a game going into half was, like, a big reason why nobody can be overreacting right now. Like, if, yeah. it, if we had shut them out, it was, like, 21 nothing or something like that going into the second half, then, uh, and then we just maybe put in backups or something like that just to roll out, like, the rest of the game and yep. then ended up with that final score, then I would be a little bit more like, yes, like, we are still the Packers. But, um, yeah, I mean, slow start, It, it it's tough to – boost your grade mm-hmm. from there but i mean we're, we're yeah we're not complaining one. though yeah no no complaints well who's your next dude on here so i had quay walker just because of that touchdown i, also I mean that's quay an a plus like the, <laughs> that was I, awesome is he on the like it, would he be our best wide receiver like that's oh, the dumbest on. question that, ever but, but he's untackleable that yeah. was did you say like what he walked through like three different people yeah and, he like, was what, like he a turned around off balance and just Dominated I know, the guy. That was incredible. Um, I, I get, what, what you give an A plus? A, a plus, just okay. from the the touchdown, like yeah. everything. I mean, he did have a great game throughout it, and then just that interception, pick six, touchdown, like amazing yeah. run, dragging out. It was kind of just like a sprinkle on top, but for me, like that's just like what it more can so you hype. ask for? Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I gave him an A. Um, I mean, he, I, I hope he's okay. I, you hate to see. It looks yeah. like he might have gotten a concussion, which. I mean, from a, a purely football standpoint, he'd be back next week. From a human standpoint, that really sucks. Um, but he he was actually the Packers' highest-graded player for PFF on the week. Now, PFF doesn't speak for everyone, but he was great against the run. Clearly, he was great against the pass as well. And he was super, super great as a pseudo-running back bowling over Bears defenders. So, awesome job from him. So, who's your next so player? I, had, I realized I didn't put... Aaron Jones on there. I mean, that might have been a factor of, of like, the injury and everything. Like, not really sure how to grade that. Uh, I was going to put Romeo Dobbs, I think, would be a good one. I mean, no Christian Watson. You kind of got to see him step up a little bit as a wide receiver, get the the touchdown. Uh, So, for him, I had an A-. minus. I mean, second-year wide receiver. That one is a little bit of, like, a for a second-year player. Like, obviously, like, like, all wide receiver. Like, that's, like a personalized grade a little bit of, like, what my expectations were. Like, oh, yeah, like, he, he definitely lived up to it. I mean, um, I don't think he's going to be, like, our number one guy. I, I do think that's going to be Christian Watson, but I was um, happy to see him kind of step up and fill that role. Oh, yeah, I mean, he, like, straight up mossed yeah. the Bears <laughs> on a touchdown. Yeah, he, uh, you know, only four catches for 26 yards, but two touchdowns on the day. I, I feel like that, I mean, A- minus given the circumstances, yeah. pretty solid. I'd say... Um, because you could say that. Well, I mean, he's he's not great outside the red zone, but you can't tell me that having a red zone threat like that is that's what we need, especially for like you mentioned earlier. The Packers team struggled to find the end zone last year. Yeah, I mean, running game is going to be a big part of the offense, and if we can get down in like those short distances, we need to have someone. If if it's a a throwing down, maybe like a third and long for a goal line play, Mm -hmm. uh, you got to have someone you can be able to throw to, and he seems like he can make his way into the offense in in those situations. Yeah, I totally agree. 
Um, I gave a grade to David Bakhtiari. Now he's a guy who, um, you know, he doesn't I don't know how to grade offensive linemen at all. At all. I, I gotta be honest with that. That's like for these grades week to week. I'm yeah. just like, it's how? tough. It's a thankless position. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, they can definitely be the center of attention. Looking at Jawan Taylor, who <laughs> <laughs> jumped off sides like fifty thousand times. But I mean. David Bakhtiari, I'd say he just proved that he's still elite. He's clearly a lot of injuries, tried on the tires. Didn't look like it. I don't think he gave up a single pressure on the day. He was just fantastic. And the Bears' front is not very good. But the only reason we know the Bears' front's not very good is because the Packers' offensive line dominated them so thoroughly today. Did you see the picture of him posing in the end zone? Yes, I did. He was having some fun. He's also the oldest player on the team. Yeah, I I mean, I I do believe it. I, I, I guessed it earlier, but at the same time, like, it's hard to like really think. Cause I was rolling through and it's like, oh, no Mason Crosby, like new kicker. By the way, I mean that might be an A plus right there. Oh yeah, like, that I mean, was he a was great bad in camp, struggling preseason, but I mean that yeah. that kick would have been good from like <laughs> seventy. Was I was nuts. so so happy with that. I didn't yeah. realize he was Daniel Carlson's little brother. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, kicker in the family right yeah, there. I guess they make him the second Carlson who's put up some good games for the Packers. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Who's your final player on here? Uh, so I only had those three. Oh, I see. I mean, if we want to go Okay, I got through. one more, I guess. Um, I have A.J. Dillon. That was one part of the yeah. team who I was not fond of. He had 13 carries for 19 yards. I gave him a D on the game. I think that's fair. Yeah, because he's a guy, you know, he's a big bruising back. Give it to him on third down. He'll move the chains. But he just he doesn't have that quickness to find the hole. He was really I don't, he was struggling to break, get into the second level. And. There was a couple plays that it looked like we were trying to get him going in, like, the receiving game, and he just wasn't ready for the ball. Yeah. I mean, there's one, like, clear drop where, like, I don't know what would have really happened on, like, a screen pass out to him, but then he just was turning up field before the ball even had gotten to him, and it was a drop. Yep. Yeah, I remember, this is a team that tried to trade for Jonathan Taylor, so it's a little concerning. You, you I mean, you could say, well, set a running back. When I heard the news, I was like, why would we do that where we have a great one-two punch, but... I don't know. I mean, A.J. Dillon struggles big time. His team tries to trade for another running back. Doesn't bode well. Hopefully he can turn it around. He's really fun, but that was not a good week one performance. Yeah, I'm, I mean, what his nickname is like Quadzilla yeah. or something like that. <laughs> You'd think that, like, you can get him going, like, downfield in that, like, kind of powered from last year role yeah. a little bit and, like, trying to earn uh, those touches, but – didn't really see it from him. I mean, it it was week one. Hopefully we can see that like be something to step up, especially if Aaron Jones is going to be hampered a little bit here with an injury. So, I don't know. I, I Every single year the Packers, there's like two things where it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a good run game, really good defense, and for whatever reason we can never have both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like one of them has to t- take a step back each year while the other one kind of steps up, <laughs> which, I mean, I guess it's like a, a, a teeter totter of sorts, but yeah. Uh, hopefully, we can have things kind of turn around for AJ Dillon there. Yeah, I mean, uh, that game he had as a rookie against the Titans, one of my favorite rushing performances. He was just bowling over guys. Uh, hopefully, we can get back to that. That was incredibly fun to watch. Um, I guess, well, I guess that does it for that. Um, so, I guess, should we jump ahead? There? Yeah, let's uh, NFL uh, stock watch just going through and kind of after the week reacting to the teams that we think would shoot up the the most in our power rankings and then the teams that are falling the most in our power rankings. Um, 
Do you want to get us started with that? Or? Sure. Uh, for risers, I guess, you know, we'll be talking about the 49ers-Steelers game quite a bit, but I was just so impressed from what I saw from the 49ers. There was a ton of talk of uh, Brock Purdy taking a step back this year, which is warranted for sure. I mean, you can say, well, they don't have the tape on him. Now they got him, and look, like the Steelers are pretty confident they get him, but Purdy absolutely showed out in this one. And the ground game was also incredible. Christian McCaffrey, big part of why I won some fantasy Although I did lose by one point because uh, Dalvin Cook couldn't get me one more point. Oh no! <laughs> but that's life. Two and one on the year, or so. But yeah, they were just. I mean, you, you talk about them being your Super Bowl pick. Yeah. I mean, Seahawks a trendy pick to upstage them in the NFC West, but based on Week One, it looks no good. Going to be the case. But yeah. Week um, One. So my another just big riser for the week: the Cowboys, just defense and special teams all the way. Their quarterback. Dak Prescott, I mean, he looks like he might be able to be sufficient if they can have their defense uh, play like that. It's really just whether or not he's going to be making mistakes and turning the ball over. Tony Pollard looked great in, in the ground game, um, and that'll just be, like, you hope their offense can keep up with this defense. I mean, I, I don't know, like, I, I hate being the guy that just keeps going back to fantasy, but they put up what like forty three points uh, or something. I think it like was thirty four for me. I know that because I I have. <laughs> yeah, that was re- but, yeah a ridiculous insane. performance. Um, yeah, I mean the crazy thing is that Dak did not play super well. He went thirteen twenty four oh. one hundred and forty three yards. I think that was good for like a seventy three pass rating. It was like we don't it, care. Yeah. He won forty to nothing. They didn't need him to. He could have just hand the ball off the entire game and they would have been fine. Like their defense was just all over. A, a Giants team that won a playoff game last year. I mean, yeah, they, people, the expectations for them were pretty high. I mean, for te- there were some people predicting that they might be taking a step back, but for a playoff team that won a game last year, a lot of people thought that trend would continue for them and kind of downturn uh, for the Vikings and both teams kind of taking a step back there. Um, Giants averaged two point six yards per play. Yeah, that was just they had atrocious. no <laughs> No shot. <laughs> Um, I guess I'll go to my riser now. You know, Al Davis said just win, baby. I believe that to an extent. But there's a such thing as moral victories, and I think that the Patriots looked really good against the Eagles. That was one of those games you might even feel better about the losing team than the winning team. Went down 16 nothing. I was like, oh, another year of terrible Belichick offense. But Mac Jones suddenly came alive um, 35 of 54. 54 attempts. That's a problem, though. they got to establish the ground game more. <laughs> But still, he had three touchdowns. He gave them a legitimate chance. Maybe they would have won if Kendrick Bourne could have got his feet down on the other on fourth of 11. That was another great throw from Max. So the fact that this defense, despite they're not a super talented defense, they got that Bill Belichick scheming, and they really shut down Philadelphia for the most part. They had 16 points in the first quarter, nine points the rest of the game. That's, that's a championship defense right there. Well, and – Seven of those points were given up from their offense. Oh, uh, yeah. Throwing the pick six you, to Darius Slay. And then you also had the fumble from Zeke earlier in that game. So just really putting themselves at an early deficit and not giving themselves a chance to really win the game from the jump. Um, I mean, I I don't know if I agree with you on this one. I, I don't see the Patriots really being like a playoff team but I do think they could be in that mix yeah and definitely from this week I mean against the the Super Bowl runners up like being in that game I, I think they lost by five right yeah uh it doesn't really matter and they, they still lost but I I don't know their conference is really tough so I, I don't know how good they are going to be on the year but they definitely beat 
my expectations. I, I thought they were going to get dominated by the Eagles, and it was just going to be over from the start, especially with the, the way the game opened up and mm-hmm. then not going away in there and, and staying. It, they could be a team that, that fights through like the entire season and just stays in that the running there. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Good point. Um, my other, I mean, not the most impressive victory. It was against the Colts, but the Jaguars, to me, just, I mean, that one of the most high-powered offense offenses you're going to see in the league. There's so many weapons everywhere you look. ETN, Ridley, Ingram, uh, Zay Jones even a little bit was uh, pretty good there. Christian uh, Kirk, like they um, – the, that rookie running back can't remember his name right now. They have a lot of guys on their offense. It, well, Cart Cartavius Bigsby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had seven carries for thirteen yards, but he, I, I he's agree. supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, they, they they wanted to be officially known as a team that is a legitimate contender, not just in the AFC South but in the NFL as a whole. And I'd say they did exactly that. They yeah, did their job. And part of that is I I do think they have a really winnable division easy schedule all year of just a team that that kind of by default is going to be at the top of the playoff running so like after getting the win week one kind of showing off high-powered offense you want to see a little bit uh better from their defense they they kind of gave up a lot of yards and points to anthony richardson who i was really exciting uh for a rookie qb but yeah i I, to me they are a, a Super Bowl contender. I I don't think they'll win it, but I I could see them being one of those final four teams in the AFC. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, they I mean Trayvon Walker, who's a much maligned number one overall pick, he looked really good in that game, and the Colts' run game was shut down. Deion Jackson, number one running back, thirteen carries, fourteen yards. If only they had a different running back they could put in there, but ah well. Yeah, uh, I mean what like an MVP candidate yeah. running back? Exactly. <laughs> That'd be really nice. <laughs> Oh, maybe there's someone in house that we don't don't know about. Uh, for now, we're going to jump to our teams that we're definitely lost some stock, and I got to start with the Broncos. They've ran their, I say they've ran their mouth. Sean Payton's ran his mouth quite a bit. Talk about how he expects his team to make the playoffs. Well, you're taking on the Raiders, one of the worst teams in the league, and you lost to them. Now, Russell Wilson did not look bad. Pretty solid performance, 27 to 34, 177 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He he was willing to run around a little bit, which is good to see, but. The fact that you couldn't get it done against the Raiders when you're talking about playoffs. I mean, you're, you're talking playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. That was really tough to see. I think this is a team that, I mean, what, last year they would have been, like, nearly undefeated if they would have just scored 20 points a game. Yes, it's, I remember that stat. It seems like it's going to be the exact same way this year. <laughs> um, and, I mean, I don't know. Sean Payton going onside kick right off the, the bat in the game was just, I mean, Really, really ballsy play. Yep, it w- and it worked. Didn't, well, didn't it get called back as a, a flag? Oh, or something? you're right. My bad. Um, yeah, but just, I mean, we'll see what happens. I, I that's a, a culture that got really, really damaged over last year. I mean, they had their their starting quarterback sitting in his own office, <laughs> which is like the most ridiculous thing I I could ever think of. Like, he's not your boss. He's supposed to be a part of the team with you, and like, uh, just. The complete opposite of like a leader mentality, I would say. So just a lot, a lot to build upon, maybe like building in, bringing in uh, Sean Payton, but didn't trend in the right direction. No. Week one. No, I guess I mean 
I'm excited to see that Jets game now. Oh yeah, and we will definitely talk about the Jets. <laughs> yeah, uh, we can hop over to that right away. Well, I mean, yeah, going okay. all in on the Aaron Rodgers in the off season, um, just to have uh, four plays, I believe it was before yep. uh, he ruptured his Achilles, uh, going out for the entire season. Now uh, they're going into the Zach Wilson experience, which worked out last night against the Bills. I mean. Jets defense and I, mean, special I wouldn't say teams. worked out, but they they got to the they, finish they line. They won. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it was just it, not what any Jets fan wanted, expected whatsoever. I mean going into this, I think this is a team that went from borderline Super Bowl contender, if not a Super Bowl contender, all the way down to in the running for the number one overall pick yeah, immediately I mean, just from the, the a change in quarterback like that i might be the lowest person ever on, on zach wilson <laughs> I, I don't buy it at whatsoever yeah i, I mean that being said that like garrett wilson catch was something yeah, else though. amazing I, and they have weapons so maybe the running game and just spectacular plays and just fireworks outside from uh wilson can keep them in these games but you know, I don't see it happening. I, I think you you needed Rodgers to be the leader, the experience on that team of someone who has played in a playoff game. I mean, how many teams on that Jets team? How yeah, many players they, on the they Jets don't team? Really have many, I guess, quote unquote, proven winners on a team. Yeah. Maybe Randall Cobb. Um, I that guess is like the only guy I can think of. But yeah, yeah. So just and I mean, just from a, a fan's perspective, like I mean, I, now it's easy to make jokes at Aaron Rodgers. Um, he's had a lot of opportunities to make jokes at him, <laughs> some of the decisions that he's made, but you just hate to see. He sounded so fired up. Now, Hard Knocks, I don't believe that's super accurate. I don't even know if he had an incomplete pass in the entire time of Hard Knocks, <laughs> but he just seems so excited and ready for another chapter, and there's a legitimate chance that that was the last play of Aaron Rodgers' career. And I mean, that's just a whole I know, way I can't even process it. Like, the way that it would affect his legacy, like long term. Like, I mean, well, just, you could argue it helped because I'm like, he can get. He's got the what if factor at the, the end. I, I do think it helps, but at the same time, like if he's going to retire right now, would you rather have him just retire as a Packer, like, yeah. right off the bat? Because then you still have to have this whole off season of like him, like continuing to like yeah. tarnish the relationship between him and Packers fans. I'm, to me, I'm just disappointed by it. I mean, obviously, there's draft pick implications and stuff like that that also like make us like upset about it as yeah, Packers he's not fans. Sixty five percent of the snaps. But at the same time, like more just as a person suffering that kind of injury, like it I do like my heart goes out to him for that. But um yeah, I mean for the Jets fans, the whole team, him, yep. it just not what you wanted week one. No, definitely not. And um I guess I can jump to the somehow the Jets didn't have the worst week out of New York source. Maybe they did, actually, with the Aaron Rodgers injury. That's just yeah, devastating. That... Yeah. But we talked about the Cowboys. we got to talk a little bit about the Giants. Uh, they were just – I mean, I, I mentioned the 2.6 yards per play. Just a reminder that Daniel Jones has four years left on that deal. And you look at – you know, he, he played very, very well in that game against the Vikings. But the Vikings' defense was very bad. We, we knew that team was – they were not for real. <laughs> um. So th- the fact that they have him for this long, I, it really, you know, it's easy to, like, hindsight's twenty twenty, but the fact that they gave Daniel Jones that deal so quickly, they didn't even really, 
I mean, they didn't play hardball whatsoever. Kind of alarming. Yeah, I mean, it was just right in the offseason. Like, we're going to lock this guy up. This is going to be, like, our quarterback going forward. Um, I think their plan was just to, like, run him basically into the ground. Like use yeah, like a- anything they can. They're not going to take care of him at all. It's just going to be like this is our quarterback, and we're we're going to use anything we can, uh, or just take anything we can get out of him. Um, and I mean, understandably so. A lot of people didn't think that was the right decision. I mean, you're kind of just stuck in that little bit of a dead zone right there mm-hmm. at the quarterback position. Where, I mean, I think historically the MVP quarterbacks, especially in these last couple of years, like you need the guy at yeah. quarterback to to end up in that game and then win it. Um, I mean, Daniel Jones doesn't seem like he's going to be that sort of player, but I mean. No, and once again, it is week one. Yeah. But. It, it is so fun to overreact to it, stuff it week is, one. Yes. <laughs> and it, the Giants, it's not even that they had a shutout. Now, to be fair, Daniel Jones, the offensive line just, I think it was like the third most pressured game in the last 10 years or something like that. So no quarterback was going to win that game. That being said, it's not that they put up zero points. They put up negative points in the offense. They have <laughs> multiple defensive touchdowns. So it, so that's one of those things where does it say like more about the Cowboys' defense than the Giants' offense? Like Josh Allen throwing three interceptions, I mean, to the same player, which <laughs> is ridiculous, But and uh, I believe a fumble yep. as well. Um, does that like is that a Josh Allen thing or is that just the Jets have a really really good defense and that's what this is going to be all year? The Cowboys have a, a really really good defense and anyone that faces up against them like that's the night you should expect from them. Yeah, well the the throws were bad from yeah. Josh Allen. They were just bad decisions. Probably his worst career game and that's really saying something because yeah. he's very good. But those rookie rookie year second year he struggled. So I I guess I mean, he's always but, been but a risk not, taker. That's kind of like yeah. the it. Like if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, it really doesn't. Where like those <laughs> those three interceptions could have ended up just being three touchdowns, and that then it's a completely different no, game. I mean, like no, but there if he placed, placed it perfectly, perfectly again, I mean, yeah. unbelievable catch. But yeah, but we we know that Josh Allen's not he's not gonna fall off a cliff. So it's not just that he had a bunch of turnovers. It's that his offense put up what would they have sixteen points in the entire game? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think that the defenses definitely are the ones who deserve the credit. Terrible offensive performance from the Bills and the Giants, respectively, but incredible defensive performances as well. So I think I don't know if we have enough time for our final segment here. I gotta get to class at yeah, one that's what I was. But just like I mean, we time. might as well. You can go over your last uh, faller here. The the Steelers. <laughs> I mean, I talked about it earlier. Just hyped them up. Just ridiculous amount. No. I mean, I'm hoping. I think it's week two against the Browns. Maybe yeah, we can Browns see look something. Legit, though, yeah, that defense. that's I'm the excited. other thing I'm worried about is like, we go zero and two, and it slowly starts trending down. I mean, they're probably going to be the team at the end of the season where like they win a bunch of games against backup quarterbacks yep. or teams <laughs> that are just resting guys for the playoffs or are like just injury ridden teams getting the upper hand against them. I mean that. I think is the only upside for this team. I mean, unless something completely changes with this offense, I, the offensive line play w- w- was really bad. I, again, against a 49ers defense that is just, I mean, absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Bosa, the highest played paid defensive player in the league, like, for obviously, a yeah. And 
I saw. I mean, this might take too much time, but next week I want to look at like the 49ers like cap and like contract situation because they have so many guys that are paid so much money on their team. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't understand how it works. Like it's almost yeah, like well, that Rams team from a couple years ago. It's exactly like, like that Rams team. It, a couple years, it's going to yeah. get really dicey for them. So this is where you, know, you could say could say well it's okay they missed on the Trey Lance thing because their quarter because they're uh, still so such a good team, but they don't win it this year. Maybe next year. There's going to be some dominoes that have to fall. It's definitely a, a shorter term window yep. for them, but yeah, some move. And you know what? I'm glad that we don't have to say what our potential segment is because that we can act like it was a really clever, well designed oh. segment. And they'll just have to tune in yeah. on Tuesday at five to hear it. Well, I guess sign us off, Alex. All right, thank you guys so much for tuning in into this hopefully last asynchronous episode. But we're actually still going to put the oh, recordings are. Okay, of the yeah. live shows on. So the, I mean. Is that Truly technically asynchronous? Oh, yeah, only asynchronous yeah. episode. Uh, thank you, Vince. Uh, so thank you guys all for tuning in. Uh, hope you have a, a great rest of your week.